0: Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. There's a scene in the final episode of season two of The Bear, where Carmi is stuck inside of the walk-in refrigerator at the restaurant. And outside the walk-in refrigerator, All of Carmi's dreams are actually coming true. His restaurant is actually a success. His team has actually come together against tremendous odds. Everybody has actually stepped in and bought in, and everything is actually working. But inside of the fridge, Carmi cannot see it. Karmi is only stuck with his self-doubt, with the mistakes that he's made. He is stuck inside his own ideas. He is stuck in his history and his past and his patterns and his problems and his imagination for what must be happening outside there where he cannot see. And it occurred to me that This scene is a metaphor for how we as writers feel all the time during our writing process. It is so hard to actually evaluate our own work. It's so hard to see if our writing is working. And... Because in the process of building our dreams, we are going to make so many mistakes. We are going to fall short. We are going to grapple with our patterns and our history and our family history and our traumas. Because we're going to grapple with all that, so often we are inside the refrigerator where we cannot see the beauty in front of us. And we cannot allow the good to be good. So that's what we're going to be talking about this episode. We are going to be looking at the final season of The Bear. But what we're really gonna be exploring is the process of writing, the process of rewriting, the process of turning something that doesn't work into something that does work. And the most important part of that process, the process of dealing with our own self-doubt, our own self-criticism, our own self-blame, our own patterns, our own fears, our own spiraling in order to actually get out of the refrigerator and be able to see the beauty of our own writing. Now, just a warning, there are going to be some spoilers ahead. So if you haven't watched The Bear yet, you might want to do so. However, even if you haven't seen The Bear, a lot of the content of this podcast will still be very valuable for you. So let's talk briefly about how the bear works. If you've listened to my episode on the first season, you already know some of this, but we're just going to do a quick recap. In season one of the bear, we meet this team trying to do the impossible, right? They are trying to run a restaurant. um, And we are caught in the heat and the emotions of a kitchen where nothing is working where everyone is at cross-purposes, where everyone is fighting, where emotionally people don't know what they mean to each other yet. We're going to watch a world of deeply dysfunctional but also beautiful people learn what they mean to each other, learn to show up for each other, learn to love each other, and just when everything seems like it is finally coming together, we're gonna watch the bear in Carmi come out. Carmi is a world-class chef who has come back home to Chicago after the suicide of his brother to take over his brother's crappy restaurant, crappy dying restaurant. And it doesn't make sense rationally It only makes sense emotionally for him to do this. And we don't know a lot of why. We don't know a lot of the past. We don't know a lot of the history. But we know that this place and the people in this place are a mess. And that they are all under so much intense pressure at every moment of every day that they just can't seem to get ahead. Right? They can't even seem to get caught up. They are constantly digging out for their own mistakes. And over the course of the first first season, Carmi is going to instill new values into his team. And he's not going to do it, it's not Ted Lasso style, right? He's not going to do it with a smile and a grin and a wonderful ease. No, he's going to do it in a beautiful and broken way, right? Right? He's going to do it bringing all of his beauty and all of his dysfunction into the mix at the same time. And over the course of the first season, a really powerful relationship is going to grow between him and, and Sydney, and everything happens under the pressure cooker of this kitchen. And just when it seems like he's actually succeeded in the first season... Everything is going to blow up. The bear inside of Carmi is going to come out. He is going to lose it on Sydney and he is going to destroy everything he's built. And on the other side of that, they're going to find a new sense of hope, an unexpected new sense of hope. In fact, they're going to find a little gift. That they didn't even realize existed, left by his brother Michael in a bunch of sauces, little spoiler for the first season, and a little bunch of, of cans of tomatoes is all the money that they need to actually turn the restaurant into something. And you can see how this fits with the th- theme of the bear, like what the show is actually about, right? The bear is really just Ted Lasso with edge, right? It's really just a show about what happens when somebody who cares comes into an environment where people have been trained not to care, how that transcends culture, how that transforms people, how that allows people to get beyond their own limitations and their past. And how it allows people to actually see the love that is right in front of them that they are so often missing. That's the structure of the first season of The Bear. It's Ted Lasso with a lot of edge. So if you've just completed the first season of The Bear, one of the great first seasons of all time, and now you've got to create a second season, there's a good chance you're going to freak out It's terrifying, right? How do you ever live up to those heights? Especially because it seems like you've broken the engine by the end of the season, right? At the beginning of the season, none of these people know what they mean to each other. The love is not there. It takes getting to the end of the season and building that love for these people to actually understand what they mean to each other. But having understood that, how do you recreate the feeling of season one as you go to season two? The pressure of season one, is all about they don't have enough money, they don't have enough skill, they don't have enough time, right? All the pressure. But at the end of the season, you've gifted them with everything they need. So how are you going to find the conflict in season two? How are you going to move these people who have already moved so far? And how are you going to do it in a way that feels the same but also different? This is where most screenwriters freak out when they're trying to build series. Most screenwriters freak out going like, how do I ever do it again? But like everything, the answers that you need are right in front of you. Like everything with writing, and I I truly believe this, like everything with life The answers that you need are usually right in front of you, hiding in plain sight. The problem is that we are often locked in our refrigerators, right? Locked in the refrigerators of the past, replaying things the way that they've happened before instead of imagining that maybe they could happen differently. In television, we're trying to figure out how can it be the same but different every episode and every season. And that doesn't grow, believe it or not, from being super creative. It actually grows from looking at what already exists and then getting creative around that. So the kinds of things that happen in The bear. And you can ask this about any series, right? If you've just written a pilot and you're trying to figure out what the engine is, you can ask this about your pilot. If you've written a feature and you're trying to figure out what would a sequel look like, you can ask it about your feature. If you have written an act and you're trying to figure out what the hell happens from here, you can ask that about your act. If you've written a scene and trying to figure out, okay, how do I turn this into a movie? I have this beautiful scene, but it doesn't feel like a movie. If somebody's asked you, does this actually have legs? Or you've asked yourself, does this actually have legs? Is it a movie? Is it enough? The answers aren't out there in the ether, right? The answers are not in your brilliant creative imagination. The answers are in what you've already written. And you can build everything you need just by looking at, well, what kinds of things already happened that work? So if you look at the bear season one, what happens? A relationship is built between Carmi, a man who struggles with relationships, and a well-meaning person who makes herself vulnerable to him. In the first season, that's Sydney. In the second season, that's Claire. What happens in the bear? What happens in the bear is that everything focuses around the kitchen and there's never enough time and there's never enough resources. In season two, it starts like, and it looks like we fixed that problem. So we need to find a way to reset it. The way to reset it is simple. It turns out, if you watch the pilot, that everything turns out not to be enough. That they still don't have enough money. And they have to make a deal whereby... If they don't open the restaurant fast enough, which is too fast, they're going to lose not only the restaurant, but the building. They're going to lose everything. And you can see that's just a resetting of the stakes. One of the stakes in season one is the restaurant may fail and we might lose everything. In season two, they just reset it. They have to make a deal to get more money. Now they have to do it faster than it can be done. And if they fail, they're going to lose even more everything. The stakes are reset. We've got the time pressure back. Now, an interesting thing happens with the kitchen. In season one, the kitchen is a pretty narrow definition. The kitchen is literally the kitchen of the restaurant. But in season two, they're trying to transform the restaurant into something really big big, right? They're trying to make a high-end restaurant, right? As opposed to the low-end restaurant. They've been up until now. And that means, if we're just realistic, there's a huge build-out happening. So how do you focus it in the restaurant? So they make a really interesting choice. Season one is entirely contained. In season two, they open it up. They start to send the characters to other restaurants. They start to send the characters to other places. Places that can make them have to grow or fail to grow beyond what was possible in season one. You can see that even though they've changed the location of the piece, they're actually building the same engine. The engine is the pressure of the kitchen, helping people Learn what really matters to them. Learn and fail and learn and fail until they discover what it takes to actually be great, not from the outside, but from the inside. And, of course, we are going to see that most clearly with the character of Richie, who is going to go through a total A to Z change in this season. Richie, who has been a fuck up his whole life, who has cut every corner his whole life, who has made impulsive decision after impulsive decision after impulsive decision his whole freaking life. Richie is going to go on a journey that humbles him and changes him and allows him to find The will, the desire, the dream inside of himself that allows him to actually care and actually realize that he matters, actually find the love for himself that it takes to really do his job. He's going to go on this huge, profound journey, but you can see this is just a mirror for what happens to the entire team in season one. Season one is built around a relationship between Carbony and Sydney. But in season two, Sydney is going to be constantly left on her own. And I think this is a really interesting choice because it shows you actually how much flexibility you have in your engine. You don't have to do things that aren't going to work again, right? And the truth is, in season one, the, the journey of Carmi and Sydney together has gone as far as it can go. So they do a reversal of it. Carmi is building a different relationship this time. His relationship is with Claire. And that is pulling him away from Sydney and away from the restaurant. But it's doing the same thing the relationship with Sydney did in the first season, right? It's actually bringing out a part of Carmi that. He until now has not dealt with the part of him that wants love, the part of him that can be vulnerable, the part of him that can take risks, the part of him that wants that kind of beauty too. And so you can see the Sydney Carmi relationship gets replaced by the Sydney Claire relationship. But it's doing the same thing. And just like the Sydney, carmy relationship in season one, it is going to culminate when the bear comes out because that is how the bear works. Even if you look at Smack Dab in the middle of season two, there's an episode called Seven Fishes, uh, which is like it's an hour long in a show that's normally 30 minutes. And it's like watching Long Day's Journey into Night. It is one of the darkest episodes that we have seen on television in a long time of any show. And it seems like, once again, it's breaking all the rules, right? Kind of like we were talking about Ted Lasso before, right? If you think about the Christmas episode in season two of Ted Lasso, where you're just like, what the hell just happened? Well, it's the same feeling here. What the hell just happened? Carmi finally connected with Claire, and then suddenly we're in the past? Suddenly we're at a Christmas dinner on an episode that's airing nowhere around Christmas? Suddenly there are all these characters we've never even met before? Carmi's mom, Donna? All these larger-than-life characters that are not even normally part of the cast? but it's still doing the engine of the show, meaning everything still happens in the kitchen. Everything still happens in the kitchen. Everything is built around Carmi's mom trying to make Christmas dinner. And though there is no physical refrigerator that she's stuck in, she is actually stuck in the refrigerator of her own beliefs. Because every single character in the show is trying to help her and love her and appreciate her. And as she gets drunker and drunker and scareder and scareder and more and more and more under pressure trying to make the meal work, she pushes everyone away harder and harder and harder, playing her own Fictional story. She literally cannot see what's right in front of her. She cannot see the love. She cannot see the beauty. The story of no one appreciates her. No one wants to help her. Nobody cares about her until the bear comes out in her and just blows up everything. You can see the show is doing the same thing again and again and again in different ways. It is showing us the bear that lives in all of these characters that is just so hard to overcome. The way that the blinders of our past, the stories we've been telling ourselves about the past, our past failures, our past habits, our past relationships, our past history, gets in the way and creates a refrigerator in which even as beauty is happening around us, we cannot see it. We cannot allow it to be beautiful and we end up blowing it up. Where we cannot see the love around us and we cannot see our love for each other and we cannot see our love for ourselves. That's what the show is about. That's how the engine works. And that's why even though it looks like the construction of season two is so different from season one. The feeling of season two is exactly the same. In season one, we have literally close to no backstory other than knowing that the brother killed himself. In season two, we're going to go deeper and deeper and deeper and we're going to start to really understand the lives of these characters outside the restaurant, the pasts of these characters. But the journey is always the same. The kinds of things that happen in the bear happen around food and pressure and not seeing the love that is right in front of you. Every one of us has worked really hard at something and then looked at it and called it a total failure, a total piece of shit. Every one of us has lost hope. But what I'd like to suggest to you is that just like Carmi, there's probably beautiful things happening in your script. And it's really more of a question of which phase of the writing process are you actually at. In season one of The Bear, the restaurant is the original beef of Chicagoland. And in your early draft of your script, in season one of your script, there's a good chance that You're the Bear looks like the original beef of Chicagoland as well. There's a good chance that the walls are falling down. There's a good chance that the characters don't yet know who they are to you or to each other. There's a good chance that the product isn't good enough yet. And there's a good chance that you are going to look at what you've written and dismiss it as just a shitty restaurant, right? Just a shitty restaurant that just doesn't have the potential. And there's a good chance that you are bringing to that judgment, not just a subjective judgment of, oh, well, hmm, interesting what I've written, but actually a whole history of pain and trauma and fear and family relationships and people who doubted you and doubts you've had about yourself and mistakes you've made and ways you've let other people down. And the battle that we all fight around being an artist in a society that's not made for artists and believing in our choice and believing that we're good enough to do it. And just like Carmi does with the characters in the bear, there's often an instinct to go like, my characters aren't good enough, but no, we like Carmi need to start addressing them all like chef, right? We need to start going like, there is something beautiful in them. Even Richie can turn into a guy who cares. And that is not about changing who your characters are. That is about looking more closely and asking who are they already? What is already showing up clearly about them? And then asking yourself just a simple question. Where could they go from here? That's about looking at, I don't care if 200 things don't work. That's about finding that one thing that does work. And saying, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen in this show. This is the kind of thing that's going to happen in this movie. So how do I do more of that? How do I push that further? How do I build on that? That might be about finding the one line that your character says. That feels like so them. And asking yourself, okay, if this is true, what else is true? If this is true, what might the next line sound like? If this is true, if this is the wave, where is the undertow? What's the part of the character they're not showing to the world? And how can I put them in a situation of pressure where that will come out? It's our job to transform the original beef of Chicagoland into a living, breathing entity that is filled with relationships. And this is one of the keys to being a screenwriter is realizing it is never your plot. It doesn't matter if you're building the original beef of Chicagoland or the high-end restaurant, The Bear. It doesn't matter which one you're building. It's the relationships between the characters that make the movie or make the show. It is not the crap that happens to happen. And it's your job as a screenwriter to fall in love with your characters, discover the beauty in them, and allow them to put pressure on each other as they get what they want or as they try to get what they want so that they can go on a journey. It is your job as a screenwriter to let yourself out of the fridge so that you can start seeing the beauty around you. Because it's only by seeing the beauty that you can actually build. And so eventually, what usually happens, if you've taken my Write Your Screenplay class, you know the four phases of writing, right? In the me draft, we've got to find those characters. we are got to find the beauty. We have to get past our inner sensor and our old habits. We have to imagine that it could actually be different. We have to allow our characters to emerge. We have to trust them. We have to send them on journeys. We have to allow them to fail. We have to let go of our tight hold of the way we think things have to be. And eventually, like Carmi unwittingly ends up doing, we have to build relationships that are so powerful that they will actually carry the show or the movie without us. We have to realize that actually we are not the driving force in our shows or our movies or our novels or our plays, that actually the characters are. That actually sometimes our job is to get out of the way and notice what's beautiful. Sometimes our job is to let the characters start writing themselves like they do in the final episode of The Bear Season 2. But our desire to control them, our fears of failure, our need to stick to the plot, our need for it to go a certain way, our need to follow the outline, our need for it to be commercial, our need for it to sell. This is actually what gets in the way, right? Our rigid beliefs that I can't have this and also that. I can't be a successful screenwriter and also have beautiful relationships in my life. Our belief that I can't be, Carmi's belief that he can't be a successful restaurateur and also have a beautiful relationship in his life when actually he's been doing it the whole season. Our job is to see the beauty. Our job is to get out of the refrigerator. Our job is to recognize that we are not the same person today that we were when we sat down to write the script. In the me draft, we've got to allow those characters to come to life. We've got to take risks. We gotta break things. We gotta write the hour-long episode that doesn't make sense. We gotta follow our instincts and our intuition, the things that we didn't plan. In the audience draft, the second phase of writing, we need to bring order to the chaos so that other people can get it, so the pieces can work together like the characters do in season one, right? We gotta build the original beef. But for almost all of us, we realize at a point where, you know what, the original beef isn't actually what I meant to build, right? I actually wanted to build the bear. I actually wanted to build something that is bigger than the dream I had when I first sat down to write. That's a natural part of the writing process. It's what I call the producer draft. In other words, at some point you realize this thing is leaning towards something bigger than I imagined it could be, something scarier or something harder but also something more compelling and more interesting that ultimately we realize it's not enough for it just to be hot and make sense. It's got to live inside of something right? that grows out of it that makes people go, yes, I get this, that gives it a shot in a very competitive industry, that the piece itself is going to morph and change as you morph and change That eventually, you're going to have to love yourself enough to take the next leap of faith and transform it not into what you planned it to be, but into what it wants to be. That eventually, in order to surprise us and delight us and surprise and delight our audiences, our shows and our movies are going to have to go beyond our original conceptions. Because there's a good chance that our original conceptions are limited by our past, by our beliefs in ourselves, by the stories we've seen before, that we might not realize that there is more that needs to come out. Every place your script wants to go is already in your script. But you've got to step out of the refrigerator to see it. So I'm going to take a moment now just to walk you through this incredible clip from the bear. We've actually just seen the crescendo of everything that they've been trying to build. Richie has served Uncle Jimmy a chocolate-covered banana. And that chocolate-covered banana is a symbol of what it actually means to run a restaurant, and quite frankly, what it actually means to write a screenplay, which is to share with the audience something beautiful in you and something beautiful for them that transforms them, that shapes them, that changes them forever. The serving of that banana is the end of a beautiful journey for Richie. It's the end of a beautiful journey for for Uncle Jimmy, the Oliver Platt character. And it's the culmination of opening night. The restaurant is actually doing what it's meant to do. It's just not doing it the way Carmi imagined. And we cut to Carmi in the fridge where he is speaking his feelings at the moment to Tina.
1: Tina, I'm... uh... I'm stuck in a goddamn refrigerator on the opening night of my fucking restaurant because I didn't have reception when Tony called and there's their shelves on the wrong side and there's art that's fucking shit and and we're tearing tape like assholes and I just, I fucking... I failed you guys.
0: And this is exactly how we feel as screenwriters, right? In early drafts or middle drafts, or even when we're so close to the final draft, we, we, we actually have this thing that is one step away from being beautiful and marketable and everything we want it to be. But instead we're seeing the no reception and the broken handle and the bad art and the cabinet that's on the wrong side. We're looking for the problems rather than looking for the beauty. And we're feeling like failures because we can only see the problems. And this is why it's so important for you as a screenwriter to change your perspective. Do not start by looking for what doesn't work. Don't do it in your script. and Don't do it in your life. Don't start by looking for what sucks about the characters. Don't start by looking at for what you're discontent with. Start by looking for what's beautiful, because those are the things you can build on. The scene continues like this.
1: So how was it? Oh my god, it was incredible. So fire. So good. Congrats.
0: Uh, Thank you.
1: Is this a good time to go back and see him? No. uh, Probably not. Yeah, probably not.
0: So we cut outside to Claire and Fack, and we're seeing actually the end result, right? The end result, that is so in reach, right? The characters have actually achieved. Yes, things need to be cleaned up. But the characters are actually achieving what they're meant to do, and they are basking the
1: beauty of it.
0: But he's not seeing it.
1: I failed you guys, and, um... I'm so sorry. It's not going to happen again. Carmen. No, that is... So silly, baby. Is it just yeah. too hectic right now? Yeah. Well,
0: job of God is ass. Yeah. He's in there solo. On yeah.
1: solo. solo. Yeah. Done. Tina, Tina, you still there? Always, Jeffrey. Always. Who's Tony? What? You said Tony called
0: So, we're hearing Tina say, "That's so silly." Right, And probably if you're a screenwriter, you've got that cheerleader, you've got that Tina that's going, that's so silly. But just like fact describes him, Carmi feels like he is in this fridge alone, right? He doesn't realize that the characters are there to support him, right? He thinks he has to do it all by himself. He doesn't, but he thinks he has to do it all by himself. He doesn't realize the characters can actually carry him.
1: Yeah, Tony, Tony, Tony's the fridge guy. What the fuck are you talking about? He's, he's, he's getting frozen. He's locked. Little Pimp is cooked, okay? Little Pimp is cooked. Mm -mm. The fridge guy's name is Terry.
0: And Sydney, of course, is having her meltdown as well, right? She has just achieved the biggest accomplishment of her life, but she is looking at the printer, right, that pops out the orders, and she is flashing back to the previous season when everything fell apart around that. And so instead of being able to fully experience the beauty of what happens, she actually ends up running outside and throwing up, right? It's that hard for her to just see what she's actually accomplished.
1: See, that, that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Shut the fuck up, what's going on? He's in the walk-in, but it, like the door handle came off. You know, maybe, maybe I'm just not built for this right maybe that's okay maybe that just is
0: he asks the question that literally every screenwriter has ever asked maybe i'm just not built for this he's asking am i good enough as opposed to what's already beautiful he's act- asking can i do this rather than what can i build on he's stuck in the walk-in yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Could you um, just go out check the front for me, please? I'm just going to get some air. Yes, chef. One sec. So Sydney ends up sending Tina away. And uh, Claire ends up pushing her way back into the kitchen because she's worried about Carmi. And here's Sydney throwing up, right? We're at the... We are at the pinnacle of success. It's not perfect yet, but we're at the pinnacle of success. And neither of these characters can see it.
1: What was your name again? Kelly. Theodore Fack. I like that barrette. Seriously, it's nice. Thank you. It it's from good. France. Neil's brother.
0: Yeah. Cool. yeah. Proud of him tonight. Seriously. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the food was so awesome. I didn't cook it. So here's what's actually going on. The food was so awesome. People are loving it. And here's what's going on in Carmi's head.
1: I wasn't here. I wasn't here. Right, what the fuck was I thinking? Like I was gonna be in a relationship? I'm a fucking, I'm a fucking psycho. That's why, that's why I'm good at what I do. That's how I operate. I am the best because I didn't have any of this fucking bullshit, right? I could, I could focus and I could concentrate and I had a routine and, and I had fucking cell reception and
0: And what Carmi is doing here as he monologues is he's making the choice that most writers end up making, right? He ends up deciding that what he was trying to have, what he really wanted, is too big. He has reached for something that was beyond his original conception. And just like most people and most writers doing it, like any artist, he doesn't know how to do it yet. And so he ends up pushing the big dream away to stick with the old patterns that he knows haven't worked for him. We've been watching him for two seasons have his old patterns not work, but they seem so much less scary than his new patterns. Right? This is what we do as artists, right? We go, I really want to write this, but is it commercial? I really want to write this, but can I sell? It? I really want to write this, but am I good enough? I really want it to be both this and that, but can I do it? Right? Maybe I'm not made for this. Maybe I should just do the simple thing, even though it's not that compelling, even though it hasn't worked in the past. Maybe I should just stay as I am rather than taking that step into the unknown.
1: I don't need to provide amusement or enjoyment. I don't need to receive any amusement or enjoyment. I'm completely fine with that.
0: This might be the saddest sequence in the whole series. I don't need to provide amusement and enjoyment. I don't need to receive amusement and enjoyment. What Carmi has just done is he has transformed his art just back into another shitty job right and this is also something that screenwriters do right we forget that this is art we forget that this is fun we forget that this is supposed to fill our lives not consume it we forget that there are outside relationships can actually fuel our inside relationships and the other way around we forget that this is play and we are privileged to be in the position where we can play
1: Because no amount of good is worth how terrible this feels. It's just a complete waste of fucking time.
0: There's no amount of good. There's no amount of good that's worth how terrible this feels. It's just a complete waste of fucking time. All of us have said that. All of us have said that. And some of us have actually chosen that. Not realizing the diminishment that comes with that, right? Because just like Carmi is in love and has built a restaurant, you are an artist and you actually cannot step away from that and still be you. And learning how to not do that, right? Learning how to to step into it even when you are failing, even when you are not good enough, even when you are doubting, even when it hurts so bad. That is actually the process of becoming an artist. And of course, Carmi doesn't realize this whole time he's been speaking to his girlfriend. He doesn't realize she's outside. He can't see her there caring for him. In fact, he doesn't even know the message that's been left on his voicemail where she's actually told him how much she loves him and how much he means to her. She, He doesn't know. He cannot see it. And I want to suggest to you that when you have these internal conversations in your head, right, you are actually shutting down the characters that are calling to you in your script, asking you to come out. When you have those conversations where you say, none of this is worth it, it hurts too much, it's too hard, I'm not good enough. When you allow those doubts to take you over, when you allow the refrigerator door to close and not recognize who is on the other side, what you inadvertently do is take these beautiful characters that live inside of you that are trying to come out and you shut the door on them too. So I'd like to suggest to you to open the door because all you have to do is listen and your characters will take you somewhere beautiful. And let's just watch where we go from here. The moment he realizes he's actually speaking to Claire, everything changes for Carmi. Right? The moment he becomes aware of the character on the other side of the door, everything changes. Right? And this is a drama, so it's too late maybe for Carmi, but it's not too late for you. The beautiful thing about being a screenwriter is that you can actually choose to open the door at any time. You just have to ask yourself, Am I willing to love myself enough? Am I willing to love my characters enough? Am I willing to allow myself to love this enough to move through the doubt and move through the pain and discover something new? Because if you don't do that, if you don't do that, what lives on the other side is something like the scene we're about to watch now. After Claire has left and said goodbye to Richie and Richie comes and knocks on the door and tries to break through to Carmy. Claire,
1: Claire. Claire? Claire, Claire? Claire? Claire. Hey, Who <laughs> What's wrong? Um. Thank you for everything, cousin. What did you just do? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what she heard.
0: If you look at what's happening in this scene, the two of them are actually standing on opposite sides of the door. The framing of the shot is so incredible. Neither of them can see each other.
1: I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what she heard. Fucking asshole. What did you just say to that fucking girl? Richie. Richie, what? What the fuck did you just say to that girl, Carmen? you shut the fuck up and get me the fuck out of here, please? Oh, yeah, I'll get you the fuck out of there, Donna.
0: And here it is, right? Richie has just called Carmen on his stuff. Carmen is not being Carmi in this scene. Carmi is being Donna. Carmi is replaying his past. He is staring at a refrigerator door instead of what is in front of him and there's a character going don't you see it and he just keeps doubling down not because he's bad not because he's wrong but because he cannot see the love in front of him in fact you're going to watch the scene is going to culminate the scene is going to culminate with richie saying i love you i love you i love you and still not being heard the fuck
1: did you just say what the fuck did you just say nothing Richie, what the fuck did you say? Go! Oh! Yo, cousin, I don't understand why you can't just let something good happen for once in your fucking Are life. You what fucking the fuck is me matter? Right with you? Now? Are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm not fucking kidding you right now. Someone's gotta tell you this shit. Fuck you! Fuck yeah, you! Yeah, fuck me, here we go. Yeah,
0: fuck okay, you! Yeah. You wouldn't have shit yeah, without me, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. alright, tough car. you wouldn't be able to pay for yeah, your fucking yeah. life, for yeah. your
1: fucking kid, oh, you okay. fucking loser. But, 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 so you're talk you about fucking kid? You fucking loser. Yeah, at least I got a kid. Fuck you don't you. have shit. You don't you. have fucking shit fuck Where were you? you i gonna fucking, fucking family, put your fucking right? brother in the ground, you selfish piece of shit. No, what? You're, you You're obsessed with my thing. That's what you are. you fucking leash. I'm obsessed with you. You're a fucking leash. I'm obsessed with you. You're fucking leech I should have cut you down. I fucking love you. You I fucking, fuck love, you. You fucking, I fucking love you. You fucking yeah, need me. I fucking love you. You fucking need me. you need me. Fuck you. you fucking fuck need fuck me. You, you motherfucker. Fuck, fuck you. Shit. Fuck you. What the fuck is this? Fuck Fuck you. Help you fucking freeze to death.
0: So this is your job as a writer, and it's actually this simple. Your job as a writer is to let something beautiful be beautiful. So this is my question for you that I want you just to take a moment to think about. What will it take for you to open that refrigerator door? What will it take for you to see what's already beautiful in your writing? What will it take for you to trust the characters that you've already created and allow them to carry you? What will it take for you to realize that you're actually in this together? What will you need to learn in order to build the script, not the one that you've built in the past, but the one that you desperately need to tell? What will it take for you to let that beauty into your life? I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. And if you want to learn more about how to unearth that voice, how to find the beauty in your script and how to build it, then come check out our classes, writeyourscreenplay.com.